You're listening to the Christy G Podcast with me, your host, Christy G. Here I sit and talk with some of the most funny, talented, and inspiring people on the planet. So sit back and enjoy this newest episode. Hey guys, how's it going? I am really excited to share this episode with y'all. I have been a fan of Kevin Devine for some time now, and I was so freaking pumped to catch him at a live show before the COVID lockdown when he opened for the Get Up Kids here in LA. I believe that was back in November, I think. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Not only is he like so freaking talented, but he's also such a kind person. I had a lot of fun talking with him, and um, this episode like the Chris Conley episode before, were recorded a few weeks ago. So if the time references don't add up, that is why. I pushed those last two episodes to make room to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. That is so, so very important. I will always continue to use this podcast as a platform to have discussions about Black Lives Matter, equality, justice, all of the above. So if you haven't heard episodes 18 and 19, be sure to check them out. I had some awesome conversations with friends, musicians, skateboarder, songwriter Lloyd Vines, journalist and author Kel Dean Hull, and fitness instructor and actor Orlando Doral about Black Lives Matter. So be sure to please, please, please check those episodes out as soon as possible. All right, so in this episode, I get to talk to Kevin about so many things. They range from our thoughts on the protests that were going on at that time and currently still. Um, speaking up um, in the community and how the community is coming together to be on the right side of history and um, his life during the lockdown and his work with Patreon, his first memory of knowing that he loved music, which was a really fun question that Chris Conley had for him. And it was really, really cool to hear all about the fun memories that he had as a two-year-old. So super awesome, guys. We also talk about how creativity inspires others to be uh, creative. Sorry, I'm jumbling on my words today. But uh, yeah, so I mentioned how I'm writing this story and I listen to Kevin's music and that inspires a lot of like my story writing ideas and how like creativity is kind of the circle and it's really, really cool on how it brings people together. We also talk about his songwriting process and so, so, so much more. You will hear little sneak peeks of his music like his cover of Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit and his song Freddie Gray Blues. I truly enjoy this conversation, and I hope you do. So without further ado, here is my chat with the wonderful Kevin Devine. Hi. Hi, how are you? I am, I'm okay, all things considered. How are you? Same. <laughs> um, where Where are you? I, I think I, I either forgot or I don't know if I know. Yeah, I'm actually in Los Angeles. Ah, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Kind of the same, the same situations here as yes. well. Where in LA are you? I am, are you familiar where the Grove is? Yeah. I'm yep. like walking distance from there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, like, we're all the Fairfax protests, that yes. whole area. My neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how is it looking over there today? Um, it's really quiet today. They have armed guards at the Grove. Um, other than that, it's pretty peaceful. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, wow. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I've been a New Yorker. You can hear me all right, by the way. There's a couple of like fans going on in my <laughs> apartment. So if, if there is any disruption from that, you let me know and I'll, I'll shut them down. No, you're totally mm-hmm. fine. All okay. Good. Um, I've lived in New York my whole life, but and I've, I've obviously bounced around a lot for music, but I've, I, LA is like the only other place I've like quasi lived. And, and I say quasi because it was like twice to make records. And so it was for like two months and a month or something. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like if you're somewhere for more than, if you're, if you're someplace for a month to two months, that's like fake living there. That's <laughs> totally. long enough, you know, so <laughs> And I've, that's been a place I, I briefly dated someone that lived out there. I've definitely spent a bunch of time. If there's probably a second place that is not like on the Eastern seaboard that I've spent the most time in, it is LA. So, um, armed guards at the Grove is a very, um, an indelible image to try to call up in my mind, given what the Grove is. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty wild. It's really weird because me and my husband take a walk every night. It's like we get out, we go for our little walk. Sure. And we walk by there every night. And it's weird. I'm like, ugh. It's like an unsettling, weird feeling to see that. Of course. Is there still a, and and forgive me because Mm -hmm. I've, I've kind of kept, I'm in and out with 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 the, the level of news saturation we're existing in right now. There's like a certain amount that just kind of my brain's porous and it doesn't yeah. hold everything. Um, is there a curfew still, or did they lift the curfew? They lifted it last night. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and because I know there was a one o'clock curfew mm-hmm. in Santa Monica at one point, right? For, yeah, for a while. That was a yeah. Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's it's been. Weird. Um, but it, it, honestly, like, it's been really encouraging to see the community come together as well. I, yeah, sure. You know, that's sure. like the one positive thing I think I can say about it. Um, uh, it's, a, you know, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster. It's a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think that it's important. Like, I, I think part of the, well, I don't know your, um, I'll speak for myself Mm -hmm. as a white Irish person from New York. I think part of the pretzeling that happens when I start to talk is that you're kind of like not a fear of doing something wrong. I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of being teachable or of correcting myself, even in public, if, uh, if there's a better (laughs) way to do something. And particularly if the people who are actually, you know, frontline marginalized, oppressed by the systems in question, are like, hey, there's a better way to do this. That's great. Um, I'm not like precious about that. Mm-hmm. It's just more that starting to talk about this feels like you're trying to unpack a hornet's nest with yes. your tongue. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I think I'm trying to arrive at like, that's okay and sort of fuck, fuck it. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I have a friend who said something the other day about like, yeah, joy is resistance. Like I went, you know, a- a- at these protests there's like they're not solemn events you know like people are like there's there is a celebration of or at the very if you don't use that word an acknowledgement of shared humanity Mm -hmm. and community at these things and i feel like connecting some nominal right-sized in context amount of hope to that is a is okay kind of has now that doesn't mean the thing that we're talking about isn't the thing we're talking about (laughs) it doesn't mean that what happened isn't what happened and that what happened isn't like a further 
iterative extension of something that's been literally baked into the foundation story of this country for fucking 400 something years and all of that it just means that you're allowed to acknowledge humanity when it gathers together on the right side of history and so anyway but uh, I'm glad you're safe (laughs) and uh, I'm glad the Grove is being kept safe too man you know people need people need the Grove (laughs) Jesus Christ (laughs) I know it's so dumb I think the only thing I was worried about was the farmer's market but like everything else I'm just like okay like the Apple store got looted and Nordstrom but I'm like they'll they'll rebuild they're fine (laughs) they're totally fine yeah but But. um yeah I relate to like just trying to unpack it and speak about it I'm not from LA I actually grew up in a very small town in Texas so I'm from a very Ah. different outlook on a lot of things and so it's definitely been eye-opening since moving to LA like meeting people from all over the place like I wasn't around any of this back home so now like I get this anxiety when I try to speak up if I was not a nominal marginal niche quote public figure Mm -hmm. unquote uh i am pretty sure i wouldn't exist on social media because Mm -hmm. my 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 opinions about (laughs) the spiritual damage it has wrought and Mm -hmm. and sort of like the death of um not only privacy but like intellectual seriousness nuance i just think it's a fucking nightmare most of the time but what i will say is the thing where you're talking about, about like not wanting to stay silent, I think an important thing I have to remember in this instance is I'm trying to use whatever minimal couple of planks of wood platform I have to try to like pitch in whatever I think is appropriate from my side of the fence. But I also think you don't have to feel no one should feel like the the um that 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 the, the only way to be quote unquote, like the opposite of silent or speaking up or, or whatever is to be doing that through social media. Mm-hmm. Like, I just find that to be a weird extension of like the invisible contract we signed, so I guess in a blackout, I don't remember, mm-hmm. that says like, we have to do everything ever on there. Like if it doesn't happen publicly on social media, it didn't happen. Right. Um, that's how we date. That's how we grieve. That's how we eat breakfast. That's how we activate. That's how we perform activism. That's how we preach to people about our spiritual beliefs. That's how we shop. That's how we, it's just at some point it's like, there has to be another way to move around in your life that doesn't involve like everything about it being broadcast in this very specific way. And to me, that can absolutely include your engagement with social justice issues. I'm not saying that's not a place to put them as well, because it helps us to hear other people. But I also think you could not say a fucking word on social media and still do plenty of good for whatever cause you are connected to, you know? So anyway, that's, that's, that's just one, one person's reflection on your, um, silence quote unquote you can be you, you can be plenty silent and be saying a ton on social media and you can be plenty loud and say not a word True. on there i agree so anyway sorry there no you go. that's awesome <laughs> how yeah. um how's brooklyn brooklyn's um i mean i love it here mm-hmm. i've lived here on and off outside of about i guess from 11 to 20. Mm-hmm. I lived in Staten Island and Manhattan. Um, but I've lived in parts of Brooklyn for the rest of my life around that 10 year window. 
Um, it's, you know, it's funny. The neighborhood I'm in, it's actually, even through all the COVID stuff, it's been like, I'm in a, a, a South Brooklyn neighborhood called um, Bay Ridge. It's like Bay Ridge borders on another neighborhood neighborhood called Diker Heights. They're pretty like quiet, residential. Um, they're like, you know, they're not like hotbeds of uh, art and uh, culture necessarily. Well, plenty of culture, just not culture like... Um, indie rock and progressive artists or what it's just kind of like people working um they've been quiet it's been a quiet time it's funny like you know even as we were peaking here with the hospitals being at like you know war-torn sarajevo levels of insanity this it was really kind of quiet yeah. around here and there's this is not a neighborhood I would have typically associated, not to put everything through the lens of what's happening right now, but this is not a neighborhood I would have typically associated with having like a presence, protest presence. Mm. Um, and there's protests almost every day in Bay wow. Ridge, and okay. which has been really, like you were speaking to earlier, actually very encouraging to me mm -hmm. um, and like well-attended, diverse and like with community support. So um but Brooklyn's, I don't know. It's like, it feels like a second skin to me. I don't feel, I, I sort of sometimes have to remember like I'm in a place because it just feels like where I'm from, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I come, sometimes I'm not even like thinking about it. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, I feel Brooklyn when I come home from oh. tours and stuff. I'm like, oh, cool. I like it here. Uh, but, but since I don't know if I'll ever go on tour again or if anybody will. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I better start figuring out ways to feel it. Aww. And and there are there are sorry there are like there's a couple of parks and a waterfront in the Narrows Bay that leads out into the uh, Atlantic. Like that, if you keep hugging it, you'll end out by Coney Island and the Rockaways and stuff. There's a waterfront promenade there that I like. I go running and I've been running through a couple of the parks here and down to the water since the COVID thing hit more often than I usually do. And I'm like, oh, my neighborhood's cool. Like oh. I like it here. It's uh. I'm kind of not a big, I don't want to be in like Williamsburg or Silver Lake or uh, I, I want to be around. I want to be around Williamsburg less so now, but uh, I want to <laughs> be around close enough that I can go to the Lower East Side or to Echo Park or whatever. But I don't, I've never been a guy that wanted to like live in those places. I kind of always wanted to like be somewhere a little quieter for yeah. the writing part. I wasn't like, let me go. You can meet the people and still leave. And I think I like that, totally. <laughs> that idea. But. Totally. I went, to, I went to New York on my honeymoon. And we went to Brooklyn and ate at Champ's Diner. Mm-hmm. And that, I always Excellent. think of Brooklyn when I think of Champ's. It's so freaking good. But, That's um, killer. That's yeah. yeah, I haven't been there in a minute. Like uh, sort of vegan fast food. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know, do you know Carly Hoskins? No. Uh -uh. I didn't know if you, she's in, she is a, a photographer who also like tour manages bands and okay. um, does merch sometimes for bands and just you never know who knows who and she lived in LA for a minute and she's been in Brooklyn for a while but she's she's the person that's a lot of words to say no. she's the person <laughs> who introduced me to Champs Diner. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I think the only Brooklynite that we have in common is Lou from Gasoline Heart. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. Lou's a true blue good you know good person big person big personality uh, -huh. <laughs> uh good good person though you talked to conley yesterday well no sorry i don't know why i said yesterday it was sunday oh okay and we 
normally like I've talked to him before like to record and I call him on the phone and uh it wasn't working um Mm -hmm. Oh, can you hear me? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we decided to try video Skype, and we had never, I've never recorded video Skype, and it was hilarious. <laughs> Did it work? It worked, but both of us were just super awkward. I was like, I don't know how to do this. I can't watch people and talk. I'm not good at it. Oh, it's part of the, the whole, like, I'm not a big FaceTime person. Yeah. And it's part of the whole craziness with Zoom right now is yeah. that, like, there's this whole learning curve that, People are just having to get more comfortable with it because it's what's available. I mean, also, you're right. You know, what is also available is like you can just talk on the phone to people, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is like, I know it's so funny. We have these like second brains that live in our pockets now. But these <laughs> things are like um, the last thing we use them for. Yeah. Is making actual phone calls. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, weird. But, but yeah, we we're um, talking about like, he's like, it's like using a, a tenth sense. We had to like get this new sense in order to do this because we're not used to this mm -hmm. and I'm like, mm -hmm. like his daughter's age there this is how they do life and i'm like i don't know how this works but. oh how, how old is your daughter oh no not mine chris's daughter oh 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 excuse me oh, was, it's okay. okay gotcha gotcha <laughs> I, I, I flipped i flipped for a minute there who was talking right yeah um oh yeah he's got like a teenager yeah i think, I think yeah. he's 15 but she's insane yeah but, yeah but crazy but um anyhow but what's really cool about this whole stuff is we get to watch you on Patreon, which is amazing. Mm, I, I, I'm glad it feels like that, that on that side of it. I feel like, um, by the way, this might be a crazy question to ask you. Uh -huh. <laughs> Where are we in the podcast right oh, now? Oh like yeah. Been, Sorry. Okay. Gotcha. No, that's okay. <laughs> uh, um, so the Patreon, I, it's funny because I had thought about, well, first thing I'll say is I'm grateful if it feels like that on that side of it, because I have really enjoyed having it as part of the last three months. Um, uh, there's numerous tiers to that. Hmm. There's obviously a super important tier, which is that it is, it has been, um, financially stabilizing in a moment that I think would have been pretty chaotic otherwise. Like I think that, 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 and that's not the most important thing, but on some level it has to be said out loud because I think that's part of the expression of gratitude to the audience as well. Like I'm not like, um, an entrepreneur or a shoe mogul or someone <laughs> who got into music to further his influencer career or somebody who's trying to like diversify into like, acting or something like I had very modest goals and they were effectively like really they were to write songs and sing them and then at some point when it became like oh my god I'm actually like making a living writing yeah. songs and singing them I felt like I had so, sort of like won the Olympics in life or something and that was that's plenty for me but also that there was never like a I didn't become like um a big rich rock star or something. So all of which was also completely fine with me. In <laughs> fact, psychologically, spiritually, probably preferred. Yeah. But um, most of how I make a living is from standing in a room in front of people singing at them. So when that goes away sort of indefinitely, you definitely have an existential moment of like, well, I've got my health and I've got 
my safety nets and I've got, uh, I think, you know, and, and you, you, you have to sort of live in the present a day at a time and trust things will get figured out and that you will figure them out to whatever extent you have control over anything. Um, but also there is a moment where you're like, well, uh, I have no, that's, that's not here. So how are we going to make a living without that? Yeah. Um, and the Patreon thing, it's wild because it's, it's, I had spent some time think. I think when Patreon might maybe became a bit more um, four or five years ago, maybe it became a bit more or maybe it even started then. I don't know. I just know that at some point in like 2015, someone from Patreon reached out to us sort of saying like, hey, we feel like you have this kind of audience where this would be a really good thing for you and for them. Would you ever consider doing it and i don't know if that was on the back of we had done a kickstarter for a couple of records in 2013 that actually went like really really super well and sort of percolated a little bit in certain circles as a result like people i think were kind of like it it, i think it actually got in some weird ways i think the kickstarter actually like broadened my audience instead of just like um speaking to the deeply converted (laughs) already and so I we so we were aware we had done a successful like direct to audience thing once prior, and we were aware of Patreon, but we were kind of like, well, I don't let's see. That's like a I don't know if I really if that's really something I feel super comfortable doing this second. And but let's like keep it sort of out there in the outer rungs of your solar system of thought <laughs> or yeah. whatever. And then when all of this happened we fairly quickly were like, well, everything just changed and it will likely be changed sort of indefinitely. Yeah. So now would probably be the time to pull that in from out past Neptune and bring it a lot closer. Uh, And I thought an important part of that was like asking the audience how they felt about it, which I think is what we did in the tail end of March first and the the response was effectively ubiquitously like yes please you should do it um we would like that and so we put it together and it's been creative it's been providing structure it's been allowing for engagement and community it's spawned this like really neat i guess like discord community where people from the live streams and stuff are communicating with one another and and also it's been financial it's effectively like a monthly salary to make music for nice. people so i i i don't know that it could have gone better than it's gone so far every month there's going to be like a little scrum and people are going to come in and come out but it's been pretty uh it seems like everyone's enjoying themselves so far which is good yeah it's amazing i think i caught on to it maybe right when you first started which is awesome because i was supposed to see you out here in orange county Mm-hmm. And I was like all bummed. I was like, man. <laughs> so now mm. it's like I have my own little private show I listen to. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good that you. I, I that's good because I think that. Um, I don't know that anything quite stands in for that experience of being all in a room together. But I also do think there is something to be said for the like. You can have that experience in your apartment on your couch. And so there is something about that that's kind of nice. And also it affords me the opportunity to be a little less precious about like 
I don't care if like with the set lists for that stuff, it's literally like, what do you want to hear? Yeah. Vote here, vote on these songs and then I'll play the 10 you pick. Like to me, that's kind of like, I don't know that I would do that every night on tour because there's nights where you feel particularly expressive and want to do a certain thing or you want to pick certain songs because they're the ones that are nearer or dearer to you in that moment. But I kind of like the idea of foregoing that completely in this context and being like, the world is hard enough right now. What would you like to hear (laughs) that might be calming or whatever, distracting? So I'm glad it feels like that. It feels it's definitely been only positive for me. So, yeah. I was listening to the last Instagram live stream where I forgot if it was part one or part two, but I had my headphones on because my husband Mm. works from home. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you started doing the whole thing like, in my head, in my little head. Oh, my God. And I just started giggling like so hard. He's just like looking at me like, I thought you were listening to him play. I'm like, I am. It's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. You got to check this out. This guy's like borderline psychotic. Um, Yeah. No, it was awesome. I, lo- I love that. I think that's really fun. But. Well, I think that to me, I'm glad you do. <laughs> <laughs> to me, um, I feel like there is, I guess I feel like this. My job, to, to the best of my understanding of it, is to chronicle the experience and express the experience of being a person. Mm-hmm. And I'm a person who is capable of great seriousness and probity and I'm also a person who is a total fucking goofball idiot (laughs) and so to me like you can absolutely get up and sing a bunch of serious songs about various things of personal and social weight Mm -hmm. and you can also like make up a crazy song on the spot about your head your little head when you forget the words to a song (laughs) you wrote 10 years ago so um i'm glad you think so too i know there's some people who are kind of feel like want their diet one way or the other like their serious singers are supposed to behave seriously Mm. and their goofy people are supposed to be goofy i just don't think that's what people are actually like like all the way through everybody's everything and actually anyone i've ever been around that was one or the other exclusively got pretty exhausting (laughs) pretty quick you know (laughs) so anyway (laughs) Um, on the subject of music, obviously, because I'm Mm -hmm. talking to you, Chris Conley told me to ask you something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He wanted me to ask you, um, he wants to know what your earliest memory of knowing that you loved music was. Mm. That's a really great question. And the answer is, um, it's funny because, so... So I have a memory, and I cannot tell you the age, but I can tell you it's possible it's my earliest memory. Yeah. And I, I lived on, my, so my, my mother and my, my father, and he had been married once before and had, and he was older than my mom, so he had a couple of um, like teenage kids, my elder half brother and half sister that were living in the house. And then I was born. And a couple years later, my younger brother was born, but I don't even know if my younger brother was around yet in this memory, which means it's possible. I could have been like 
two and a half years old, okay. which sounds insane, but it might be, it might actually literally be the earliest thing I remember. Aww. I was in my kitchen at on 99th street. My mom was like doing something, preparing food or doing dishes. Like what I can see is her, she's kind of like got her back or side to me and she's doing something by the sink. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm in a, in a, in a, like, you know, some sort of child safe seats that doing like uh scribbling something or whatever the hell I'm doing I don't know what I'm doing but I can like see the light in the room and I can see her and she was listening to Michael from Mountains which is a Joni Mitchell song mm -hmm. and I had an older half brother named Michael who wasn't the complicated person who wasn't always around a lot he was an adult a young adult by the time I was a kid and I was, and I remember the song. I remember sit, like, mm -hmm. and I also remember, she says she has a clear memory of turning around one day and I was singing the song. And so whether I, what I'm not sure of is if we have, if it's the same memory mm -hmm. and why I remember it is cause I was like, cause she remembers turning around and being really shocked. Cause I like was, I knew the words to this song and she was like, I didn't even realize he was like paying attention to the shit that I'm doing, let alone <laughs> absorbing it. Um, and I really do remember thinking like this person, oh, I don't know if I remember, these thoughts are way too elevated, but I do remember what I felt like was that the song was about my brother and the person singing it must have known him mm. because she was singing his name right. and Michael pushes me on the swings, Michael takes me down the stairs, there's all these lyrics that are like, that I, in my mind, the, the picture was like me and this man, my older half brother. Um, that might all sound fucking crazy, but that that's what I actually think my earliest memory might actually be my earliest memory of falling in love with music. Aww. There's like other ones that I can totally remember being like maybe four or five and my the E.T. E soundtrack, which had a song with like Michael Jackson and Neil Diamond on it or something. <laughs> I remember like, but that was more like being in love with E.T. And then the thing I remember super vividly, two little addendums, the thing that made me fall in love with like guitar music, unquestionably, I was seven years old in my cousin Sean's bedroom in Rowan and uh, sorry, in Earliesville, Virginia. And his local rock radio station in 1987-88 played Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. Aww. And the beginning guitar riff came on and I literally sat on his bed and just like listened to the whole song and i remember asking him afterwards like can they play it again and he was like laughing like well that's not how the radio works like they'll they might play it again in like two hours but they don't play it again like <laughs> right away um Aww. so that was definitely and then the reason i'm here is like watching a guns and roses special on mtv and him being like there's this new band that i think is really awesome and everybody should check it out and they're called nirvana and Aww. it's uh and then he played smells like teen spirit and I was literally like, oh, Guns N' Roses sucks. This is incredible. <laughs> Thank you.
And I, I could actually trace like being on the phone with you to hearing that song. Yeah. For the, that was like the thing where I was like, oh, I can't play those songs. I can play this. Yeah. This like looks like something I could do. So anyway, um, that's more answer than you probably bargained for. But I, awesome. I think I probably think it's that Joni Mitchell thing, though, which is a real wild. It's like a, it's like a memory that is so fuzzy and mm. I can see it through like it's like sepia tones and I could see it through like what feels like a lens. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I can see it. I, I know it like I, that's been there since I can remember things. But yeah. That's fun. I like how you said that you you can see it. Um, mm-hmm. I was gonna tell you. So, for the last like twenty years, I've had this story in my brain that I've been trying to write. And mm-hmm. over the last like fifteen years, it's progressively like grown. And um, mm-hmm. a lot of the like the images come from songs that I listen to. Um, but it's like kind of like a, a a dramatic version of how I feel like my life has been. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a soundtrack that I listen to when I'm writing, and I have one, two, three, five of your songs on it. Mm. <clears throat> and um, when I hear, there is no higher comp. No, I'll oh. stop after this. But there's no higher compliment than that. That's to be included in that kind of process for somebody is really intimate. Thank you. That's oh, really welcome. beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I hear "You Are the Daybreak," which is like the first song I heard from you, that I was like. This guy's amazing. Um, mm. I would think of this memory that I had outside of Swingers Diner out here mm. in L.A. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, like, it's like I see Swingers and I hear that song. Or if I hear that song, I see Swingers. And mm-hmm. it's, like, one moment. And I'm like, God. And it's just really cool how you can create something with this one story in your mind. Or not. You may have just written the words. And how people can use that or see it in a whole other light. And it's really cool. Oh, it's the wildest shit in the world. Yeah, It's actually a form of like, I'm not, I'm like fairly evenly split in my brain between somebody who's really inclined towards like magical realism and thinks like there's like, you know, all of this like kind of inexplicable shit that happens (laughs) in the world that's like basically like one step short of like a Michelle Gondry movie or like Gabriel Garcia Marquez book or something. But the other half of me is like this super rooted, concrete Irish Catholic Brooklyn person who's like, none of that fucking shit's real. But what I will <laughs> say, what, and they're they're fairly even in there who's driving the car. But what I will say is that's the closest I can come to some sort of like explicable magic is the ways in which different people's art or expression, however you want to, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Fuck, I could even expand the definition of that to be like watching, this is going to be a super cheesy and very niche thing to say, but like Pedro Martinez in 1999 throw a curveball is Mm -hmm. like to me like watching Picasso or something. Like that's a person who was literally, I don't know what that guy is on any other level in his life. He might be terrible in every other way, but that is art. Watching that man do that one thing was like, how does someone do that? And the things that can open up in your, the ways we can share the experiences of what other people um, make and bring and the ways those experiences frame the unframable for three to five minutes at a time or something. And then also like percolate with and engage with our stories and become to be part of, I don't think it's possible 
to understand the implications of that from the perspective of the person who made the thing. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think it's actually almost dangerous to try to. I think you can start to really get into some messy places in your head. Uh, but it's like when people come up and show me that they have a tattoo of a lyric or of a, an album graphic or something, I, I think it's like the coolest thing in the world. And then I also, my brain totally shuts off because I'm like, I can't even process that some, but that meant so much to a person that they would want to like literally have it on their body forever. Yeah. Not that I think there's anything, but that's out of control, cool and beautiful and such an honor. It's also something that I'm like, I can't think about that too hard because it's just going to make me completely like either feel like some sense of insane pressure to do things that are worthy of that or, or, it's going to make you, I, the other side of it is I think that's when people start to think like, I'm pretty fucking cool. People get my, get my fucking shit tattooed on there. Or like they play my song at their wedding. Mm. Whenever people tell me something like that, I'm like, that is, what an honor yeah. to be allowed into people's lives like that. And I recognize that they see it as a reciprocal honor because they feel grateful that you make the thing you make. And, and it's a wheel. It's all a wheel. As you are aware, you, you make things. But like, <laughs> um, I guess that's a lot of words to just say um, how cool to be part of any story in your actual life like that and then to be part of your process yeah. as a creative person is pretty um, gratifying. So thank you for that and for sharing it. It's of really course. cool. You probably would actually like the name of it. So I'll kind of try to tell you a little bit. So basically it starts mm -hmm. in the 90s. In, the, in Texas, and the character ends up in L.A., very similar to my story. Mm -hmm. But her, I named her Millie Joe because my mom's mm. name was Billy Joe, and I wanted to think mm. after her. But I, I titled it Millie Joe and the Somebody She Used to Know mm -hmm. because of Elliot Smith. And uh, I, I, I thought maybe <gasps> given your, your recent wonderful oh, art yeah. rendering. That's yeah. on its way to you. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, That's of course. wild. Thank you. <laughs> But yeah, and so I was like, this is really fun. And then you covered his, um, I didn't understand, was it last, last week? Oh my week? God, yeah. And I, I was like, this will be a great Dark Night of the Soul part of my story. <laughs> so it's constantly mm. like, I might add it to the playlist, but you don't have it recorded anywhere. But of course I added, I put Elliot's version, but. um. Well, that's probably fine. Um, <laughs> I, um, I also, um, it's funny because, well, this is, maybe this part we will, oh, I don't know, it won't matter. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about recording that cover oh, nice. for one of the Patreon covers because um, it was fun to learn that arrangement of it, and mm -hmm. it's a little different to play it with a guitar than his presentation with the acapella, all yeah. the harmonies and stuff. So anyway, um, but that I, w I can't wait to see where the story goes, um, it, and it sounds like there's a lot of. I don't know if you're anything like me, all of the songs that, even the ones that sound the most intensely autobiographical, there's always some amount of like composite happening and mm -hmm. some amount of like, there's like a, a line where it's like what is versus what if. There's mm -hmm. some journalism and there's some fantasy. There's some playing with, there's some facts and then there's some playing with facts. So I'm sure it sounds like there's a lot of personal in that story. I'm also sure that you take liberties in, in it too, and it's a story. But it's, yeah, um, I um I sent the first act to Conley, and he was like, "This sounds like a screenplay," and I was like, "Oh." Mm. So I kind of been rewriting it because my husband works in the movie industry, 
So, ah, okay. So he's like, yeah, we should totally like write it as a screenplay. So I'm kind of like starting it over. Oh, that's in a weird really way. cool. But, yeah, um, yeah. Anyhow, I just wanted to tell you like so many. It's I just think it's really cool that you create something and then I find it and then it goes on to help and hopefully, you know, the whole like you said, the circle is going to continue. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's fun. Yeah, it's the best. It's the thing. Yeah. When you when you write songs, like I mentioned earlier, do you mostly write from experience, or do you just kind of use your imagination to create scenarios, or both? Uh, I think it's I think it's both, but I think that the, the, the I, I, I'm not the kind of person who like you know, like Tom Waits and his wife used to cut up the newspaper and then put lines together and write songs from the new, from like different stories. And there's obviously people who like research a thing and then write like, you know, the Decemberists writing a song cycle about some like 17th century Japanese poem or something. So Mm -hmm. it's like, that is not my typical thing. I don't like, I'm not like, um, what's that? Like a, like a concept album whose person who's like, um, either going into history that way or going into like pure fiction. Mm-hmm. But I would even make the argument that those people are still writing from experience because something about you drew you to those spaces. And so even when you're writing something that's like fucking science fiction or something, there's still like a beating heart in there somewhere and like yeah. a personal spine, you know? Totally. So I think that most of the songwriting I do is some sort of amalgam, like I was saying, between personal experience and some amount of projection, between usually if I'm saying I and you, it's pretty, not, in, not, not, uh, not like it never happens, not like it never happens, but it's, it's not, it's pretty rare that I'm literally just specifically talking in a fixed way about myself and one other person. Often the songs, the pronouns are sort of interchangeable and there's like composite stuff happening where you're kind of writing about several experiences or people in one space or it can flip around from verse to verse. Or, and sometimes it's not that at all. Sometimes a song is literally just about one person, one afternoon, one mm-hmm. memory, one whatever. But mm-hmm. I, I also think some of the songs are like memories that turn into dreams. Mm. Some of the songs are, like I said, like almost like journalism that turns into fiction. Um, some of the songs are life experience. Some of the songs are um, uh, what if my life experience was, <laughs> you know, yeah. like shifting that. Um, and also there's a lot of songs where I'm using I and you and I'm talking to myself, like mm-hmm. mirror songs where you're kind of like trying to kind of um, lean into yourself a little bit about like how to, uh, trying to like nudge yourself to not flinch in the face of reality, kind of like honesty check songs. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, like I think there's a lot of different, but I would say that all of them somewhere are rooted in like even a song like another bag of bones which Mm -hmm. is like a super structural song about like you know the capital w world or slices of it uh i'm picking the slices that i'm looking at so you're like your editorial voice is always in there you know and um i've never been um 
you know, uh, radical jihadist, nor have I been an American <laughs> soldier, and I've never been a climate scientist, nor have I been um, an, uh, a, a, a kidnapped teenage uh, activist in Argentina, young woman or anything, but all of those people show up, all of those things show up in that song, but I'm a person who, like, reads about those people and has has feelings and yeah. a life experience, and so... I kind of feel like the even the songs that are the furthest from like you, you're still right in the middle of them because you're like the editorial lens through which it's passing, if that makes sense. Oh. So, um, but then there's totally songs that are super like, the thing about memory that's so crazy is that you can drop in on a super specific moment in a memory and it comes off like a dream like a hallucination yeah. because for one, your memory is subjective even to you. But for two, none of you know what the hell I'm talking about. If I'm talking about like <laughs> a, a coffee shop and a person with snow at the crown of her winter hat. And that's, but that picture, you don't have to know the person. You don't have to know the moment. You don't even have to know the context. But something about sharing that picture is evocative to people because there's something like loving in the rendering of the detail. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something I like a lot about songs, too, is that I can sort of like, well, and sometimes it can be you have to be careful because you can get lost in like a nostalgia trap. But yeah. there's, you know, but there's stuff that. You know, closure is a myth that we made up to like sell self-help books. So there's stuff that like that doesn't mean you can't move on from things or heal or I don't mean any of that. I just mean like circling, drawing a nice, neat circle and saying like, well, that's behind me now. I don't know that I think that's how people people's inner lives actually work. My, I will say this. Mine doesn't. But that does not mean I feel the same way about like my dad passing away in 2003 today mm -hmm. as I did the week after it happened, but that also doesn't mean that there aren't times I'm like driving somewhere and randomly will be like, oh my, I wish my dad was around. You know, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's, that's still, and sometimes that's about a woman I was in love with when I was 20. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's about, uh, insert any number of other things. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so, and that doesn't mean I'm still in love with that woman today or that I, it's the one who got away or that uh, I'm inconsolable about aspects of my past it just means like that shit comes up sometimes so better to not if i can turn it into something artistic that people can also get something out of then i think there's some value to that that's awesome i um spoke with matt prior um not too long ago and i asked him like to him is songwriting is it more hard work or does it come naturally and he was saying to him it's more hard work but it's become easier over the years mm. how do you feel about that for yourself um yeah that's right to <laughs> okay. me i mean what i think and what i don't I, I wouldn't speak for matt matt's very good at speaking for himself but what i would think is like to me what i would say is i have no idea when a song is going to come mm. and i once it starts I very rarely know where it's going to end, mm -hmm. but I have better tools in place today to like both follow that journey more closely and responsibly and with greater commitment and also to sort of like 
put some parameters on the trip to sort of keep things like bumpers and in, in bowling or something to kind of keep things like, and I don't mean that with respect to like dim, diminishing creativity. I mean it more like to sort of not just float off into the ether with things to kind of try to keep the train moving or whatever other tortured analogy I could throw at this. But I do think that a difference was when I was like 23, 22, 23, 20, somewhere in that time, I wrote between 22 and 24, I wrote the bulk of what was my former band's last record, this record, Every Famous Last Word by my band Miracle of 86. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote uh, Make the Clocks Move and Split the Country, Split the Street. And that's like, wow. you know, a 50 song. And then there was 10 or 15 songs that didn't end up on those records that were written. You know, there was a time where it was just like, almost like you're on fire and it's like a vomitous. And if you look at whether you become, whether you're somebody who's struggling to sell a thousand records or you become, you know, Bob Dylan or something, if you look at people's timelines, that is a time where a lot of writers get set on fire, you know, mm -hmm. like that early adulthood, because you're really finding your voice and your expression. And, and, and I think that I've written 20 songs in the last two years maybe mm -hmm. and that's not insignificant and i have a record that i'm really excited about with a with an extra i don't know if the record will end up being 10 songs or 12 songs or 14 songs i don't know but there's a 16 song group that i'm like that's there's a record in there um but i would say that i'm way more judicious about like the editorial process than i once was while also what's funny is i used to for every song I finished, there was a song I started and decided was stupid and didn't follow through. Mm -hmm. Now I like finish everything I start. Okay. And so I don't know if I would have written a hundred songs from 2002 to five if I had gone through with that. But I definitely know now, even if no one ever hears something, I'm like, well, I'm going to see this through. And usually the, the um, commitment and intention of seeing it through results in it actually becoming something worthwhile. Um, and I guess the whole process is worthwhile, even if something isn't determined worthwhile by people's response to it. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there's something. And so I think the hard work to me is that I want to keep getting like nominally. Now, there's, so when I say what I'm about to say, well, I'll say it first. I want to get like nominally better mm -hmm. at something every time out, whether that thing is like, only important and legible to me and a certain percentage of people that like it or whether it's something that's very clear or obvious whether it's like i want to be more intentional about the arrangements i want to become a more accomplished harmony singer i want to be more aware of the structure this time i want to be not aware of structure at all this time like it's trying to get a little better at yeah. something every time out now that does not mean every time i make a record or write a song the people who like my music are going to think it's better than they people often come in where they came in. And usually that's kind of where they like, they might like you. If you're lucky, they might stay with you, grow with you, check in with you, be interested with you, but they also likely will like the thing they liked when they mm. got there the most. And that's, I'm, I'm going to like, okay, computer and kid a <laughs> forever. And I hope Radiohead every time they make a record thinks this is our best record. I probably won't, <laughs> but 
they should, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, or they should think, man, we got a lot better at the percussive aspects of this, this time or whatever the thing is. Um, so that's the hard work to me is like, not even, I don't mean this in a way that's going to sound, I don't mean this negatively, not thinking at all about what anybody else is going to think about mm -hmm. it, but being excited about, Oh, you know, I, I really like figured out a chord voicing in the bridge there that's kind of cool and i don't know if i would have done that last record or or whatever and also really trying to not write the same record twice yeah and there's only so many songs and so, i mean only so many chords um it's not like i think when i if you intentionally try to be like i'm gonna remake the wheel it's <laughs> like you kind of start to sound a little lost up your ass but if you but i think if you're like I can say that very naturally, the songs that arrived and were followed through on and were finished that have become what will be the next record whenever that is eventually completed, they do not feel like instigator mm. at all to me. And that record did not really feel, I guess aesthetically I made a decision before Bubblegum that I was gonna make a couple records that dealt with like the kind of music I loved as a teenager, like kind of power pop, punk pop like not pop punk but like stuff like <laughs> super chunk or those yeah. nirvana records or the pixies or stuff that had like a spikiness and an energy to it um and i think that bulldozer was a weirder little outlier that i was trying to do something else like get a band in la that i'd never met before and make a kind of like pretty folk rock record with them but like um i think that after instigator i was like i'm i'm okay with this now i don't want to make another like step on the fuzz box and sing louder in the chorus record i want to figure out what the next dynamic is and i think the new record it took two years to even start because mm -hmm. i was like I, maybe i won't play any guitar on it at all maybe i'll learn how to play piano maybe i'll record it all myself and there'll be no live instruments at all it'll all be electronic instruments maybe I'll, you know like all this getting lost in your own ass stuff and then eventually it was like i literally remember looking at the guitar in my apartment on the in the kitchen on the, one of the chairs one day just looking at it one morning getting ready to go help get my daughter ready for school mm. and i was like i it was really funny because i caught myself doing it and i was like you are literally having a staring contest with the guitar because what you're trying to do is figure out what it wants to be used for mm. for this next batch of songs and I kind of realized, like, you just got to sit down and start playing guitar one day. <laughs> so anyway, that's a lot of answer. I tend to talk a lot. No, but I like that's, it. That's, that's, uh, that's what I think about that. Yeah. I'm always, I'm just intrigued by music and songwriting. People who can do it, period. I'm like, I don't have that gift. <laughs> mm. And it's well, amazing. Well, fuck. I, yeah, I can't do what you do at all. If I <laughs> sent you any attempt that I've ever made to be, like, a visually... Um, oh my God, I try, I try cause I have a daughter who's four and I've gotten a little better at like replicating, like, you know, trying to draw still life's household objects and just try to be like, there's the plant, there's the <laughs> bowl of pine cones we got at the park today. There's the whatever, but, um, or like there's Poppy from Trolls. If I'm looking at a picture of her face, <laughs> I can vaguely approximate it. But my Aww. God, if I if you sat down and you were like draw a car, <laughs> I'd be like, uh, and you'd get like stick figure with you know bubbles. So anyway, <laughs> um, we all have different gifts, it's and that's true. a nice thing. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> have you um, during? I feel like somebody's probably asked you this before, but I'm not sure. Um, 
Have you been inspired to write anything based on kind of what's going on right now in the world? Mm. You know what's so funny about that? Um, no. Yeah. Is the short answer. Um, the two things that started, so I also kind of feel like my brain works in stations. Mm -hmm. And because I have this pile of songs sitting there, I think there's something happened to me once I realized like, oh, I think I got a record here. And then some, I think there was something in my brain that was like, we're going to stop writing for a little while. We're going to switch into the like, Muscular, muscularizing these songs, arranging them, building them out, making sure they're wearing the right clothes kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that sort of happens to me and I'm not usually doing that while I'm also writing. I, I know other people might be different about that, but that, if I took a step back and looked at the history of my stuff, um, it's very rare that I was like writing songs while I was in the process of making mm -hmm. a record. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes when I, I don't run, I don't run like um, marathon distances. I'm like a person who does three to five miles, three mm -hmm. or four days a week. And that's like, to me, that's wonderful. The fact yeah. that I can like that. And it also, I don't wear headphones or listen to music. It's a kind of like um, mobile meditation almost mm -hmm. or something. Um, and songs come sometimes or parts of songs come or thoughts that become songs come or like two lines come that you then can sit down and like build. There has been two of those things that have happened during this and they're, I, it's very literally the first verse of something or the first half verse even and one was just like um kind of a sprightly peppy little <laughs> pop song of sorts and pop music in my head is like you know the beatles are not a surf or something like that but mm -hmm. pop music sort of pop sprightly pop song about my friend who i've been friends with for like 20 years and sort of on and off have a have had a crush on the whole time, but it, like, it isn't really, um, it's just is what it is. <laughs> and, and I'll probably think that forever. Yeah. There's probably a person that will always be like, ah, something about her, <laughs> but, uh, and that's okay. And so the song was kind of literally like, I got a thing for this person and, uh, I probably will forever. And there was like a lyric about how, that feels in the in the moment in the quarantine moment like yeah. hanging up on a zoom call and being like well maybe see you never but uh <laughs> and the other thing was just more of a prayerful kind of thing that was about like uh i cannot live it's sort of like i don't know how to move through anything in my life covid or or a regular tuesday prior mm -hmm. um any other way but a day at a time, a thing at a time, a yeah. feeling at a time, uh, an interaction at a time. Whenever I get too far ahead or behind, I'm either lacerating myself about something I'm regretting, which is useless about the past, or I'm like shoveling smoke, worrying about something that hasn't happened yet and probably never will in the future. There's no way to like make peace with the past or get to whatever the future is going to be. But 
by attempting to be as present as possible. And today, yeah. easier said than done, but that's the work. So <laughs> there was a song that kind of started coming about like that. Like I can't, I can't, uh, I can't live tomorrow yet or yesterday again. Mm. So it's something about that. And so um, neither of those have I sat down and finished. I like made when I got home, I like literally picked up my phone and did a little voice memo and was like, sang mumble sang the melody in my head and whatever words were there for both of them and that was that but that's it there hasn't been you know it's funny also the record i don't think of things there's things that are overt and there's things that are submerged i think every song you write every song i write as a person living in the world has some aspects of larger stuff capital s stuff in mm -hmm. them but there's songs that are more obviously like direct like something like freddie gray blues or yeah. like uh no history on Insta. i don't know there's songs that are more like direct overt in their uh dealings with you know capital i issues or whatever this is not that kind of record and it's funny because it's obviously we are living in total insanity prior to any of this, yeah. prior to COVID, prior to the, the last two weeks, prior to George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and any of this. Um, the last four years in this country have been psychotic. And yeah. so, but also there's something that happened to me that was like, I don't, how do you write protest music about Donald Trump? <laughs> yeah. Like, like the, this, the protest, the most radical thing somebody can do there. Yes. I'm sure there's been, there will be wonderful. I'm not saying, and somebody will, and I'm maybe I will too, but a lot of the stuff I'd written about on and off since 2003, it was all kind of talking about some of this by accident or just because history moves in cycles anyway. And he's just like this metastasized version of it. But like, I didn't really, what came to me in the intervening year was not like a cycle of songs about the radical death cult that is the American Republican Party. That's mm -hmm. all out there. Other people can do it. And it's certainly what I feel and think, but it's not what got written this time around. So I am kind of interested in the way your subconscious moves around because it's not like there was a, there's a lot to write. Yeah. <laughs> about all that stuff, but it, it's not, there are not songs on this record that are like, um, you would write lines from them on a cardboard, you know, that you held up at a protest or something. So yeah. I don't, but I don't, uh, that's okay to me too. Like if you, if I think part of the responsibility of being an artist is actually not sort of following what shows up and not like forcing something that isn't there. Whenever I've tried that, it has been two diminishing returns. Yeah. So. I know you've mentioned before how you, you can't just be like, I'm going to write a rock song or whatever. No. Create that, which I actually think is awesome. Because then I feel like it's more real what you're saying. You're not just making something to rhyme or entertain. Well, when, that's, when I've tried to be like, oh, I'm going to write. And I, it doesn't mean I've never done stuff like that. But mm -hmm. what it does mean is that even when I try... And I've done some like writing for other people or co-writing stuff that's more like 
And there's a whole wing of the music industry that is like people writing songs that they have no intention of performing ever, but hope someone does someday, uh, or that they hope to sell to a commercial someday or any of that. Mm, yeah. I've never had much traction in that world, but that doesn't mean I haven't like gone to some of those sessions and tried to do the thing or been invited to. Um, and that's a talent. I've been around people who do that stuff that I'm like, oh my God, this is like wild. You can just <laughs> sit not, sit down and sort of shit this stuff out. But I, um, I think that for myself, even when I try to do that, there's something that brings me back to like, I don't know the right language to use, reality mm-hmm. or something. And I, and I get a little like, I'm just sort of fixated on the gray spaces in people and I don't really know how to get away from that. And so even when I'm like, I'm gonna write a rock song or I'm gonna write a pop song or I'm gonna write a folk song or I'm gonna write, I don't know, even if it's like, I'm gonna write a song that's like sexual or I'm gonna write a song that's about like spirituality. I don't know, there's always something that happens that's like, <laughs> it's never a direct hit. There's always something yeah. that like, it gets like bent a little bit because I just don't think anything mm. is actually one thing right. ever. I think everything is like all these things at the same time. So. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. I okay. even, I, I will see, we'll see what comes, but I, I feel like I don't know how to like sit down and say, I know how to like say the contours of like when I was the Freddie Gray thing came from like being the children, a, a person who was raised in a family that was like riddled with police officers and, and yeah. the ways through which my movement through life my movements through life as an individual, my relationships to the ideas found that are like foundational to the existence of the systems that um, kind of like were like spinal to my family in some ways, like, you know, paid the way for our families to yeah. like, and then like actually for them to assimilate as immigrants at one point and then to become, you know, like there's a lot in the whole like immigrant cops story that's really mm. s- kind of fucked about class and anyway, but um, I went, you know, you, Freddie Gray happened and uh, Michael Brown happened and Eric Garner mm. happened and all of these things that have happened since forever were happening and I went to a protest and I felt moved to write something and then I had this moment of like, well, what the fuck? do you write you're like what what is what what would make it like what would make it that you had any sort of skin in the game to address this at all in a way that's like nominally credible or human and it was like i had a five a friend who's like a pretty far out lefty person that was like it's pretty radical for you to talk about that given where you're from and who, and so that's a thing that is actually a value for people to hear a person who's like, not just saying like, I think this is wrong or I'm outraged or but being like, I think this is wrong. And I come from these people and I don't think these people are, I know these people are not bad people, but that doesn't mean that the system is not, working exactly the way it is supposed to right? and that the system is not dehumanizing to those people as well, whether they know that or not. So that might make me sound like I think I know more than I do, but I, <laughs> I don't know. I think systems are there to kind of warp and distort our, our understandings of ourselves, you know? Yeah. So anyway, 
<laughs> that's a lot to say. I knew I wanted to write a song about Freddie Gray. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to write a song about what it meant to be me in, in the context of, of watching and feeling these things. And what comes out, fuck if I ever know what that's going to be. It's, you know, that that's more like the thing that I'm like, oh, well, you live in there somewhere. And whoever you are, we're just going to try to keep being nice to you because the things that you give us <laughs> are... <laughs> Are, uh, are, are sustaining and generous, so, yeah. Talking white privilege blues Talking confession to you I can't know what it's like to be afraid all my life Looking over my shoulder behind each officer corner Entrenched in equality, no access, no empathy Crushed in stacked decks, institutions and death This is not my reality I'm afforded the luxury of shaking my head Shut the screen, go to bed I can turn on what you never can And watch it happen super impressive i don't like i said like i wish i had that writing skill not like in a demeaning myself way but i'm like it's just amazing it's funny though because i feel like well thank you <laughs> you're welcome and we also all i think i feel that way about other people who do the same fucking thing i mm -hmm. do you know there's people you look at and you're like well it'd be cool to be able to write like that yeah um it would be cool to be able to communicate like that. It would be cool to be able to sing like that. It would be cool, you know, whatever it is. But <laughs> I think that at some point you have to sort of let go of that and be like, well, I've got this. Yeah. So <laughs> let's just try to be nice to this. But, I love that. That's fun. Mm -hmm. Man, um, I don't want to take up a lot of your time because I know you're a busy bee. But um, I think I just kind of ended on, like, do you have any plans other than, you know, the new music, but, like, this week, I know you got the Patreon. Do you have any fun like Instagram, Facebook goodness? It's a it's a weird time because I think right now it sort of feels funny to me to be doing like much yeah on there that's not sort of like connected to what that'll move around. Or there's a way perhaps to do oh hello hi. I don't know what the heck just happened. I just got, did you, were you able to hear me? Yeah. Something weird just happened on my side. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I think there may be a way to explore how to connect some of what I've been doing with the Instagram, Facebook stuff mm -hmm. to that. Mm -hmm. But, um, and the Patreon stuff, there's a, for me, it's like a weekly, because of my schedule, I, you know, I'm with my daughter effectively six to seven days a week. Yeah. Um, there's some, it's not like I'm stockpiling these covers and reimagined original songs that go out the first two weeks. I'm literally doing them like the Monday and Tuesday of the week people hear them. So I will do this Sunday and Monday probably um, the uh, the next, I think I'm doing, there's a version of Bubblegum from that record awesome. that I've been playing forever when I play by myself that's like a way more 
finger picking sort of folky presentation of that song and kind of breaks it down into something pretty yeah. um, as opposed to like sort of caffeinated sprint that it is <laughs> on that record. And so I think that's part of the, pur the purpose of this whole thing to me is that I get to kind of like take stuff that exists and then re take it apart and put it back together again. So I think that'll, that I'll be doing this probably some, some combination of Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Um, and then, uh, the following week is the weekly Q, the monthly Q and a kind of like a little update slash Q and a thing. And then the last week we do the live concert. And so I, I'm sure I'll do something else on those platforms because I've also been trying to not only do that stuff on Patreon so as to not be uh, exclusive to the rest of people who might like it and can't yeah. afford or for any other reason don't want to be engaged that way I think that's like I gotta remember that like as wonderful as Patreon is like I have more people who like my music than the 468 people who have signed up to that right. so um so I probably will be doing something like that. And I think very slowly trying to put my head back into the like brick by brick process of making this record. But I, that's going to take, I wouldn't say the records anywhere near a place where I'm like, Oh, we're on the back nine. Like I think the <laughs> record's like 25% there, okay. but um, we'll take it as it comes. And awesome. I'm trying to just be patient with that. So, yeah. well, I know people have said this before, but thank you for just being a very kind soul. You're very, what's the word I'm trying to say? This very, um, like your bright light, mm. <laughs> if that makes mm. any sense. <laughs> it's very, very generous yeah. of you to say. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get better at just saying thank you when people yeah. say nice things to me. Yeah. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, and then, of course, you know, I, I think that part of being a person is that we're a mess and mm -hmm. there's there's plenty of not that in there too but it's nice if people think the parts that are that are are that so uh thank you is what i'll say Yay. yeah <laughs> you're welcome conversation with Kevin freaking divine I had so so much fun I really hope that you guys enjoyed it um, please 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 follow Kevin and listen to all his amazing music I'm gonna link all the places that you can find him in my show notes I also added some music to the podcast soundtrack I added Freddie Gray blues smells like teen spirit cotton crush I could be with anyone between the concrete and clouds I was alive back then I would have added you are the daybreak but it was already on the soundtrack. How freaking cool is that? <laughs> and I also added one of his songs with the band Bad Books called I Love You, I'm Sorry, Please Help Me, Thank You. I love all of these songs. Those are just a few of the songs that I'm like obsessed with by Kevin. Um, you can find the playlist soundtrack and lots more by following me on Instagram at Christy G. Again, totally gonna link all of this in the show notes, so 
just check it out. <laughs> Thank you so much again for joining. I'm looking forward to the next episode. Until then, don't forget to be sure to go back and listen to episodes 18 and 19. Um, my episodes with Lloyd, Keldine, and Orlando about the Black Lives Matter movement. Share it with your friends. This is such an important topic. And yeah, guys, let's just be about it. All right. You guys have an amazing day. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you next episode. P.S. A special thanks to MXPX for providing the music for the podcast. They are the freaking coolest. (laughs) 